Hello, and welcome to the second half of today's Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Katie Myers. Black life in Appalachia has a long and storied history, and the Black communities that have inhabited this place for hundreds of years are inseparable from its social, cultural, and political landscape. Coal camp towns, in particular, were centers of Black life as Black miners went to work underground alongside a multinational, multi-ethnic, multilingual mix of people. The good and the bad sometimes came together, or one after the other. Black families wove together a lively cultural life in coal camp neighborhoods. However, sometimes tragedy and violence darkened the doorstep. Today, we'll look first at the remembrance of a tragedy and then hear about the longer scope of Black history and present in our region. Last month, the city of Pound, Virginia commemorated a lynching that occurred in 1927. Leonard Woods, a young black coal miner from Jenkins, Kentucky, was murdered that November by a mob in Pound Gap, Virginia. A new road sign was dedicated to him, where he was murdered, right by the busy thoroughfare of Highway 23. Here's Reverend Steve Peake of Fleming Neon dedicating the sign with a prayer. Father God, this morning we come to you with bowed heads and humble heart, thanking you for all the blessings. Lord, you, you know what needs to happen here today. You know what we need to say. I ask you to guide my tongue as I speak and pray to you. Lord, I pray healing upon this area. I pray, I pray restoration and forgiveness and blessings on everyone. Lord, I pray that your name be glorified in all of this. May we show love, respect, and honor to each other as you would have us to do. Lord, I pray for all in attendance for the family. Lord, I ask you to allow your spirit to go forward through this to bless us and keep us in times like these. Remembering Black life in the coal camps is work without an end, and many researchers work tirelessly to uncover not only tragedy, but also joy, and the stuff of everyday life, and the ways it shaped today's Appalachia. Dr. William Turner, who grew up in the Kentucky coal town of Lynch, recently spoke about the complexities of Black life in the mountains at the Hazard campus of Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College. He wrote his new book, Harlan Renaissance, a memoir of Black Appalachian life in the coal towns on the long history of Black life in Appalachia. Here's Dr. Turner. My mama was in Lynch, and most of us tend to be born where our mama is. And my mama had been born in Lynch in 1924. Uh, And uh, her mother and father had come to Lynch in 1920 uh, in pursuit of employment. Granny came to be a domestic in the big boss's house in Benham and my papa came to be a coal miner, and they came out of Macon, Georgia. 99% of the black people who came into Eastern Kentucky to work in the coal mines, however, came from Central Alabama. Part of my book is called The Harlan Renaissance. Now, it's very easy for some of us to say, wonder why he named it that. Uh, Let me give you the reason why. In the history of the United States, in the 1920s, the greatest concentration of black people migrated out of the South 
the southern states, Georgia, Florida, all the way across to Texas, but not so much Texas, but Oklahoma and a little bit. And they all ended up going into a part of New York City called Harlem, the Harlem Renaissance, Marcus Garvey, that, that, that boiling up of black art and music and literature and just a, a, a festive place in the 1920s called the Harlem Renaissance. And it's another word, Renaissance means rebirth, revitalization. And so I, I call my book Harlan because at the time that Harlan, Kentucky, was at its height as a coal town, the greatest concentration of black people in Kentucky was in Harlan County. Harlan County, Perry County, Pike County, to a lesser extent Letcher County, had a much higher concentration of black people than Fayette County, which is Lexington, or Louisville, although very few people know that. Uh, there are a few families. Uh, anybody didn't go to Liberty High School? I thought people had never heard of Liberty High School. Uh, everybody ever heard of Reverend John Pray? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Houston Hogg. I went to UK oh, yeah. with Houston many, many years ago. Uh, there's a Combs family. There used to be some yeah. black combs and some white combs. I don't know if people talk about it anymore. <laughs> I love to talk about it. <laughs> oh, you know, Red Fox, lots of interesting racial issues here. I don't mean racial in the sense of racial issues, but racial diversity. Because we've been very diverse in Perry County. In fact, I remember one time I heard there was a, a, a relatively rich coal owner who died or something, he had in his will that nobody could inherit any of his money unless they could prove that he was 100% white. That was a man who died. So they took it to the Perry County courts and everybody lined up, the judge threw it out, and the judge said, well, hell, ain't nobody 100% white in Perry County. Right. <laughs> These are all of us some kids around here. Now, I don't know if any of y'all said, I'm 100%. Well, the point of the fact is, that's the way America is. It's a very diverse country, and people have been, there have been biracial families, and at one time, Perry County had more biracial people in the 1940s than any other county in Kentucky. And we just came up with the word biracial in my lifetime. We used to say half white. We say she's high yellow. <laughs> Didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Y'all look at me like I'm talking off the top of my head. Uh, but it's true. Hey, old Steve Peak. Anybody know Steve over? Con is it Concord? His church. So I wrote this book uh, about one reason I wrote this book is that when I'm dead and gone. I don't want anybody to ever say, what whatever happened to the black people of Eastern Kentucky? Because mm -hmm. I said, I could do something about that. Mm -hmm. So uh, 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 here's a little bit of facts about, uh, I went to a place called the Lynch Colored Public School. Mm -hmm. It was etched in the concrete like they were reminding us every day, y'all colored. I said, I wonder why they had to put that on there. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, now that they put this stuff on here for 100 years, we're in a place in America right now where you have people who say, don't teach the history of what we did. There are people who are saying, in the state of Texas, they're passing laws every day that say you cannot teach critical race theory. You can't even talk about race in the schools because it makes our white children nervous. Have y'all seen this? Okay. Okay. <laughs> it makes you nervous? What are you talking about? Uh, Let's get to that. In 1895, there was a color school in Perry County, and that, there was a color school, do I pronounce this right? Vico or Vico? Vico. 
Biko. Y'all still got that wonderful mayor over there. What's his name? That guy. Johnny. Johnny. He's not the mayor anymore, though, is he? No. no. Oh, I love him. <laughs> the Hazard Colored School got $80 back in that year. Mm -hmm. And here are the schools you had here the Hazard Colored School, the Blue Diamond School, the Town Mountain School, the Liberty School, the Kodak School, and the Higgins Colored School. All right here in this little county. That was a Rosenwald school that you went to in Harlem. So the reason we did this is that all of these footprints, I don't know who said it, but I think his name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Yeah. The Psalms of Life, it said, the lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives more sublime, for in departing they leave behind them footprints in the sands of time. Don't let your footprints get washed away. That's what we're trying to do is say, hey, these people were here. This is what they did. This is what they contributed. They're from a great tribe. Because someday people will say, well, who were they? Where did they come from? What did they do? What did they contribute? What happened to them? And that's what I try to do in these 385 pages right here. It took me 20 years, but I got most of it done. <laughs> okay, who is this guy? And what does he know about growing up black in Appalachia? That's me, right here. That picture was taken uh, when I was four. That picture is 71 years old. Uh, they used to describe me and my brothers and sisters as stair-step children. Any of y'all from a stair-step family? See, it was 10 of us, because mama had three more after this. And I used to ask my, my oldest sister is 7.8 years older than I am. Seven years, eight months older. This sister right here is exactly 12 months older than me. And I said, Dad, how did Mama have five children in 7.8 years? You know what he said? He said, well, buddy, every day the train come up to holler at 5 o'clock in the morning. He said, it's too damn early to get up and too late to go back to sleep. <laughs> That's my dad right there. This check was drawn from United States Steel on December 31st, 1946. I was six months old, and Daddy had drawn $98.66 after 74 hours of working, and he bought home uh, uh, $41.70. I spent that much yesterday in an airport in Dallas for lunch. And my daddy took care of us. It's remarkable. And plus, after she had these other children, then one of mama's best friends died of something called cancer, which we hadn't heard of back much in 1961. And mama raised her three children. And I used to ask dad, why does dad, why does mama cuss so much? Because <laughs> mama said, sit you down. <laughs> did anybody have a mama that talked a little trash? My mama, my mama didn't, my mama, uh oh. <laughs> okay. Well, my father explained the way my mama would talk trash, but I said, son, she had two or three of y'all in diapers at one time. You'd be crazy too. And he said, you just do what she tells you. Don't worry about how she tells you because that's her way of keeping order, and someday you'll thank her for, for that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, okay. 
Very quick, if you had to ask yourself, if that's Appalachia, the white spaces in those 14 states, some 405 counties, uh, where would you guess the most black people live in those spaces? They live in Pittsburgh and Birmingham, okay? Uh, a lot of people don't think of Pittsburgh and Birmingham as being Appalachia, but there it is. One of my sister-in-laws went to college in Appalachia. She went to college in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's where Vassar College is, one of the finest colleges in the world. And after Cecily studied at Vassar, then she went to Vanderbilt and got, got a medical degree. Uh, uh, so Charleston, Prestonsburg, Hagerstown, there's a little old town about 60 miles from here over the mountain of 23 called what? Appalachia, where my daddy was born right next door in Colburn and Wise. And Tri-Cities, Tennessee, Elvis Presley was born in Tupelo, Mississippi, Appalachia. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, so that, that's what we're talking about according to the Appalachian Regional Commission. There it is again. Uh, here's Kentucky's Appalachian counties. Look at that right there. Edmondson County, which is Warren County. I think Warren County is Hopkinsville oh. last time I looked, isn't it? So if you look, they're saying the same place they call Appalachia in Edmondson County is the same as Perry County. And there's a really big difference between Edmondson County and, you know, when you get up around the river, uh, heck, there's a little bit more in here. Uh, not long ago, nobody wanted to be called an Appalachian, but just look right now, there are people who call themselves expatalachians. Mm. They're expatriates. They live outside the region, but they write about the region. Uh, I noticed not long ago that, guess where that county is right there? That's Youngstown, Ohio. That is now considered an Appalachian County. So look at, just look at all those Ohio counties. It used to be just the ones along the river down here. But now the Appalachian, because it's politics, it's money. Give us some of that money. We'll, uh, I wrote an article, not read an article rather, recently called the Mississippi, the Appalachianification of Mississippi. There are many parts, most of the black people live in Mississippi, well, that's an Appalachian space too, in Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi State. We're talking about that, that's an Appalachian county. I don't think you can convince many of those people that they're Appalachians, so they'll say they're Southerners, but that's just part of the question of money and getting eligible for federal grants, simple. Appalachia is a political driven brand. Uh, it's convenient to be Appalachian sometimes, that's what we're trying to say. Uh, between cornbread and tortillas, it just runs into this booming Hispanic population and it's growing food scene in the Appalachian space. There's a poet who renamed the whole region. He renamed all the black people Afro-Latins. Another uh, highly thought of person, Bell Hooks, who grew up in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. But Bell said, I would only know these hills as Appalachia. Once again, Appalachia. Now, I asked that woman right there once. That's my mother. I asked mama, I said, mama, do you identify as an Appalachian? Mama said, now Bill, you know darn well I'm a Baptist. Because <laughs> I bet you, if you go to the average person walking down the street in Hazard, they never refer to themselves as Appalachians. They just might say, oh, we're simple mountain people. They very rarely use that term that way. This term is used primarily by scholars and poets and writers. Uh, yeah, you just go over here to Red Fox, somebody say, what the heck are you talking about, buddy? 
Now, let's get to a little bit about stereotypes. I don't know how many of you did not read this book, but you may want to read Hillbilly Elegy. And some people are shaking their heads. No, I don't want to read that. But you have to remember, every 20 years or so, a book comes out that redoes the old Appalachian stereotypes. You remember Harry Carter wrote a book in the 1960s called Night Comes to the Cumberlands. Harry was from Whitesburg. Here's where he used to make fun of how white folks in the mountain talk, baby. You ever heard the joke about how there was this white man, his truck had broke down out here on Highway 15, and uh, uh, he went up on the side of a hill and picked a whole bunch of roses and lilies and things and put them all around his car. Police walked up to him and said, Woodrow, what are you doing? He said, well, buddy, I, I looked in the manual here and said if it break down, put out some flares. <laughs> My father used to say flares. Mom was like, Earl, it's flowers. Dad said flares. I bet you know somebody that says flares. That's the way they made fun of the dialect of Southern white talking. It's called Appalachian vernacular. Just as many black people have something called African American vernacular. We call it Ebonics. Y'all bonics. <laughs> but they said white folks with banjo playing, family feuding, Scotch Irish, hillbillies with toted guns. They were ancestors, moonshine, and ordinary, semi literate, toothless people. That's what they put in those movies about you. So, so that we learned very early. Another thing, too, about that is that, particularly here in the mountains of the South, I think our people knew that there was a a process going on in America where working class blacks and whites had always been pitted against each other. For example, the United Mine Workers of America was one of the first integrated unions in the country. It was the UMWA. Remember, for example, in 1921, they were organizing in a place called Blair Mountain in West Virginia. And the way the miners uh, uh, were, were going to identify themselves from their enemies is that they all put red bandanas around their necks. The black miners, it was 2,000 black miners amongst those 8,000 people. And they had these red bandanas on, and guess what they called each other? Redneck red brothers. Mm -hmm. And so he tried to talk me into studying black people who were in these same situations, in these same spaces. And I said, nah, man, <coughs> I, I'll check you out later. <laughs> you see what they did? This is what they made Jethro and Ellie made. And then we had me called Jethro called Sambo and Willie May, right? You might be a redneck if. You remember that guy named Jeff Foxworthy? He got rich making jokes about Southern white people. The Beverly Hillbillies. In fact, he might be the only people left in America that you can make dirty jokes about and nobody will say you're prejudiced. If you're from Eastern Kentucky, you'll find places called Ages, R.J. Benham, Black Joe. There was a town they named after this black man in Harlem County called Black Joe. There was another town called Black Mountain, Black Star, Bonjellico, all these. In fact, between Perry County and Harlan County, there were 98 different coal camps that opened up during that coal. 98 little places. There's a good book called African American Miners and Migrants. It's about black people in the, in the, in the, in the, on this side. So all these people who came up from Alabama, they came up from in and around Birmingham. That's where they came. There's our feet coming into Kentucky uh, in the 1880s up to 1940. And this is where we ended up. 
We ended up in Benham, in Black Mountain, in Corbin, East Burnstead, Everts, Harlan, Hazard, Jenkins, Lynch, McRoberts, Fleming Neon, Middlesbrough, Pikeville, Pineville, Wheelwright, and you go over the mountain to, similarly you can see them in this part of East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, my daddy born in Coburn, Dant, or Dant as they say, mm -hmm. Norton and Pennington Gavin, Stonehenger and Wise, and the real big concentration of black people is in West Virginia. Bluefield, Beckley, Welch, mm -hmm. those places. That's Lynch, Kentucky. Beautiful, that, the tipple was there. You drive by there right now, it doesn't look not so nice. But at one time in the 1930s, Lynch could lay claim to being the greatest coal camp in the whole world. It had the largest tipple in the world was that place right there where my father worked for 47 years. And that was in October. I saw it this morning. <laughs> Those trees are the same way. Some black men in Harlan up at Black Mountain. Uh, uh, this man here owned a funeral home in Harlan. What was his name? Simmons? Fuson. Yeah. Uh, this is going into uh, Mac Roberts. Uh, these coal camps where these black people lived. And they came here, you can just see how the mechanization is what ran them out, when they mechanized in the mines. Families everywhere. This is a Hazard family 80 years ago. I got some photographs from Alice Lloyd College. That was fantastic stuff about your family too over there, of course. Uh, uh, people in Lynch in the 1950s. So that's the way it used to look. These are those preachers. I could never get the name of these black preachers in Hazard. This picture was taken in 1880, uh, I'm sorry, 1925. Black people building the railroads. Black people built the railroads from Corbin all the way to Lynch. And as you remember, in 1919, they ran all the black people out of Corbin one night. 240 of them, put them on a train, and ran them out of town in one night. One night, their houses, everything. Uh, some specious argument. This is where I would like to list what I would call the values that drove us. Hardworking, families first, religion, faithfulness, soul miners, <laughs> right? Schooling, we believed in schooling. We were neighborly, and we had to have a sense of humor, otherwise you could never make it. If you, if you took yourself too seriously in the mountains, you'd get in trouble, because somebody's gonna always let you know where you stand. <laughs> so as you know, these, I could cover this up. These aren't black Appalachian values, but we basically had the same way of living. We were all relatively poor. And uh, you know, as they used to say, everybody's black in a coal mine. Last four black coal miners in Eastern Kentucky, I took that picture myself. Patsy and Ricky and Jerry and Drina. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the picture graces the front of the cover of the Encyclopedia of African Americans in Kentucky. My mama played at this little church called the Rising Star Baptist Church. My mama played in there for 40 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we had benevolent organizations. People were pretty good to each other. They took care of each other. Right. Uh, there was no such thing as nobody had anything to eat because somebody would always take care of you. Uh, and in these places, what was life like for them in these schools? We had excellent segregated churches and uncomplicated apolitical preachers, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> then that thing came along. Anybody here a coal miner? That's a continuous miner. It just eats through the mountain like that. And I remember my, after a lawsuit filed by the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights, my father got a job to run one of these machines. And he said, Billy, I got the best job in the coal mine now. 
except one thing. It put 300 boys out of work. Because right after that happened, the population just went shoop. Because they didn't need 300 people to do what daddy did in an eight-hour shift. And now, as you know, all you got to have is some dynamite and a big truck. <laughs> and uh, 10 guys can get the coal off the top of the mountain. This is how the black population decreased in Harlan County between 1940 and 2018. So that, as I note here, if the general population of whites and black population in Harlan County had gone down the way the black population went down, there would be no people in Harlan County at all. If you study what happened to us, you can make a pretty good prediction about the future because what happens when a company leaves? When, one, when just one company dominates a whole town, and see, we've gotten to that place in America. America's economy is dominated by about four or five companies. They're called Amazon. The largest employer in Eastern Kentucky is called Walmart, All right? So when you have three or four companies running it, it's the same way it was in these coal towns. When they pull up, they pull up. When they pull out, they pull out. What happens to you? Everybody gets on dope? Hello? Because that's one of the scourges of Appalachia right now is oxycontin and methamphetamine addiction because people are trying to adjust to, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't go to Detroit. <laughs> I can't go to Cincinnati. There's nothing up there no more. What are we going to do? What do you do when there's no work? What happens in communities? Once again, they've left, they've gone to Knoxville, they've gone to Chattanooga, they've gone to Cincinnati, they've gone to Lexington, they've gone to Louisville. They've gone to Atlanta, they've gone to Charlotte. The mountains are emptying out. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. <laughs> Ray Charles, you remember that? Some of you ain't old enough to remember that song. Great book called African American Miners and Migrants. What happened to us? Why did we have to leave? You can see how, the, how it went down. Perry County's total population now is just under 30,000. Uh, you could get all the black people in Perry County in this room. That's not an exaggeration. So what's the nature of life like for black people in these little former coal towns? What's it like now? Tell me. Uh, this fascinating thing to interview people. What, what are you young kids doing? What's happening to them? We need to get them together and start right. talking and developing. What's the role? Who are their role models? And what is the nature of race relations in the mountains now? What's it like? Do people talk? I don't know. Uh, what does the fact that 90% of the presidential vote in Eastern Kentucky and Southwest Virginia in, the, uh, in West Kentucky, uh, it went to, to uh, Donald Trump in 2016? What does that mean? Well, it may mean the same thing because that same figure could be applied to San Francisco. But the world will give you the impression that conservative politics only takes place in Appalachia. I've been up here now, what time did I start? 5.30? Right? Okay, it's now, it took me 45 minutes to go over what I teach a course called Blacks in Appalachia. It usually takes me 16 weeks. I hope in these 45 minutes you're saying, oh, I understand a little bit now. Better. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm done, I think, I think, yes. Thank you very much. That's all for the second half of today's Mountain Talk. You heard from Dr. William Turner, acclaimed author and historian of Black Appalachia, and from Reverend Steve Peake of Neon, Kentucky. Many thanks to Leo Shannon for the recording of the memorial in Pound. Music is from the Apple Shop film East Kentucky Social Club about the annual reunion celebrated by black families with roots in Harlan. 
From all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening.